This is the penultimate week in our sermon series on the book of Daniel that we're calling Living at the Edge. It's been a tough couple of weeks in our county, and I hope you all are well and safe. In planning our series, I was drawn to the book of Daniel because it spoke to me in these stressful times when I've been feeling disoriented. Maybe you have been too with staying at home, online school, and new fires which have thankfully subsided. When we are disoriented, there is comfort in reviewing these old stories like those in Daniel, which might be familiar to you as they are to me from my childhood storybook Bible and Sunday school. And when we return to the book of Daniel from a mature point of view, we see that there is depth to the book. There are stories about Daniel and other exiles who survive and even thrive, though they are far removed from everything that is familiar to them. In our scripture reading today, we will hear one of those familiar stories, so familiar it has a catchphrase that almost everyone knows, the writing on the wall. This account, which dates to about the 2nd century BCE, and others like it about Daniel and his friends, served as tales to advise and console original readers, Jewish people displaced from their homeland. And although we might be feeling disoriented, we are still far removed from the original hearers of this account of Daniel and the writing on the wall. So before we listen, I want to share with you a helpful frame for thinking about how we relate to this scripture today. In my studies, I found this quote about Daniel 5 from biblical scholar John Golden Gay that can frame its meaning for us. He's reflecting on the choices that Belshazzar and Daniel make in the book. And he says, In everyday events and in political affairs, some find life, others find death. Human responsibility is real, and every experience tests by eliciting a response that either draws people towards God and God's blessing, or draws them in the opposite direction. As you listen to the reading, consider whether each person in it is drawing towards God or away from God. Let's listen. Today's reading comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 5. May God open our hearts and ears to the wisdom of the word as we listen. King Belshazzar threw a huge party for a thousand of his princes, and he drank a lot of wine in front of them. While he was under the wine's influence, Belshazzar commanded that the gold and silver equipment that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem's temple be brought to the party so that the king, his princes, his consorts, and his secondary wives could drink wine out of them. So the gold equipment that had been carried out of the temple, God's house in Jerusalem, was brought in, and the king, his princes, his consorts and his secondary wives drank out of it. They drank a lot of wine, and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, 
wood, and stone. Right then the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the king's palace wall in the light of the lamp. The king saw the hand that wrote. The king's mood changed immediately, and he was deeply disturbed. He felt weak, and his knees were shaking. The king yelled, calling for the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king told these sages of Babylon, Anyone who can read this writing and tell me its meaning will wear royal robes, will have a gold chain around his neck, and will rule the kingdom as third in command. Then all the king's sages arrived, but they couldn't read the writing or interpret it for the king. At that point, King Belshazzar was really frightened. All the color drained from his face, and his princes were also very worried. Upon hearing the commotion coming from the king and his princes, the queen entered the banqueting hall and declared, Long live the king! Don't be so disturbed! Don't be so frightened! There is a man in your kingdom who has the breath of holy gods in him. When your father was alive, this man was shown to possess illumination, insight, and wisdom like the very wisdom of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed this man as chief over the dream interpreters, enchanters, Chaldeans, and diviners. Yes, your father did this, because this man, Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, possesses an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight into the meaning of dreams. He can explain ambiguities and resolve mysteries. Now in light of all that, summon Daniel. He will explain the meaning of this thing. So Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, So you are Daniel, the Daniel from the exiles that my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the breath of the gods is in you, and that you possess illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the sages and the dream interpreters were brought before me to read this writing and interpret it for me, but they couldn't explain its meaning. But I've heard that you can explain meanings and solve mysteries. So if you can read this writing and interpret it for me, you will wear royal robes, have a gold chain around your neck, and will rule the kingdom as third in command. Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts. Give the rewards to someone else. But I will still read the writing to the king and interpret it for him. Listen, your majesty. The Most High God gave kingship, power, glory, and majesty to your father Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the power God gave Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified of him. He did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, killing or sparing, exalting or humbling. But when he became arrogant, acting in stubborn pride, he was pulled off his royal throne, and the glory was taken from him. He was driven away from other humans, and his mind became like an animal's. He lived with wild donkeys, he ate grass like cattle, and dew from heaven washed his body until he realized that the Most High God dominates human kingship and sets over it anyone he wants. 
But you, who are his son, Belshazzar, you haven't submitted, even though you've known all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. The equipment of God's house was brought to you, and you, your princes, your consorts, and your secondary wives drank wine out of it, all the while praising the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods who can't see, hear, or know anything. But you didn't glorify the true God who holds your very breath in his hand and who knows every road you take. That is why this hand was sent from God and why this message was written down. This is what was written down. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the meaning of the word Mene. God has numbered the days of your rule. It's over. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the scales and you don't measure up. Parson means your kingship is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar commanded that Daniel be dressed in a purple robe, have a gold chain around his neck, and be officially appointed as third in command in the kingdom. That very same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. May we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church through this reading. Thanks be to God. Amen. When you hear the word king, what comes to mind for you? For me, I grew up in the U.S., and the idea of king is mostly abstract. There's cartoon kings like Mufasa in The Lion King, or the dad in every princess movie ever made. There's the singing version of King George in Hamilton. There's kings from world history class and kings in early American history class who, in the way our American history books are written, mostly seem to exist as plot devices to get America going on our way to nationhood. At first glance, King Belshazzar, the king in our reading from Daniel today, is both cartoonish in his gluttony and anger, and a literary device to help us see what a superstar Daniel is. But reading more deeply, I'm imagining that for people who come from places where a ruler has absolute authority over them and their homes and families, and where power is inherited or taken by force, then Belshazzar's behavior becomes more sinister. He is the absolute authority in the lives of the people who surround him, and the king's whims and moods affect everyone, even, or especially if, he is arrogant and unstable, and Belshazzar is both. According to the story, Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar previously conquered Israel and Judah, destroyed the temple and Jerusalem, and carried and exiled much of the nation's educated and elite, like Daniel, to live in Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has died. Belshazzar is king over Babylon. Belshazzar has thrown an enormous party for a thousand princes, and Belshazzar is drinking a lot of wine in front of them. 
during this huge party, while he is under the influence of that quantity of wine, Belshazzar has all the religious vessels that his father captured from the temple in Jerusalem brought to him. These are all the spiritually sac sacred and valuable items that the priests used in religious ceremonies. Belshazzar and his lords, wives, and consorts drink wine out of these sacred religious vessels. These sacred vessels that have been captured as the bounty of war are being further desecrated at the party. Beyond that, while Belshazzar and friends are drinking out of the vessels, they are praising so-called gods made by human hands, gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Belshazzar the king, by drinking out of the sacred temple vessels and praising man-made idols, is declaring himself to be greater than God. And next comes the part that has captured the imagination of people ever since. As Belshazzar and company are drinking from the sacred vessels, the fingers of a human hand appear, and in the light from the lampstand begin to write words on the wall. The king's mood changes as he watches the hand write. He grows pale and terrified. He loses control of his limbs and his knees knock together. I mean, it's, it's probably normal to be terrified if a disembodied hand shows up and starts writing on your wall. But this is a man who has just acted as if he is above everyone. So much for the king, greater than God. In his fear, Belshazzar calls for his sages and advisors. He offers a position of high prestige and power to anyone who can read the mysterious writing on the wall. It is not clear from the Bible passage whether only the king can actually see the writing, or if everybody at the party also sees it. But no one that is there, including all the sages, can or will interpret the writing on the wall. Realizing that no one can tell him the meaning of the words, Belshazzar becomes even more terrified and more pale. The queen, likely the queen mother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, and notably the only woman to speak in the book of Daniel, arrives on the scene. She settles the king down. She tells him of Daniel, who had been in service to King Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, and who was known to be very wise. Belshazzar calls for Daniel to come. Remember that court tales, like this one, may have helped set an example for people in the Jewish diaspora of how to maintain a Jewish identity and lifestyle while they were under foreign rule. And Daniel is definitely set up as an example here. He has survived exile to a foreign land and served as an advisor first to Nebuchadnezzar and is now under Belshazzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar threw Daniel's friends into a fiery furnace for not worshiping a statue. Because the kings had such power, Daniel's appointment is a dangerous one. Now, Daniel enters the room of a drunken, 
terrified and powerful king. A king that has desecrated the sacred vessels of the demolished sacred temple of Daniel's people to their god. And the king offers to trade Daniel power of his own for an interpretation of the writing. Talk about living at the edge. What will Daniel do? He has a choice here. Daniel's life depends on the good opinion of the king. He's called in to serve the king. Yet, Daniel refuses the king's gifts and rewards. He speaks truth to the king's power. Daniel reminds Belshazzar of how his father Nebuchadnezzar was brought low by God for acting proudly and without humility. Belshazzar knows this already, and yet he has been drinking out of the vessels of the temple of the Lord setting himself up as greater than God. First, Daniel reminds Belshazzar that the God Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals. Then, Daniel interprets the writing, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. Scholar Frank Zimmerman, in his article for the Jewish Quarterly Review, says of the writing on the wall that it is an oracle designed to lend itself to mystery, ambiguity, and multiple interpretations, and that the other sages in the room likely could read the words, but were unable or unwilling to interpret them. Some of that might have to do with the fact that the Aramaic did not have vowels in it, and therefore the words could have had multiple meanings, or that they were afraid of what the king would do when they interpreted the words. These individual words can be read as root words. Mene is a root that means to count, number, reckon, or assign. Tekel can mean weigh, or to stumble or fall. Parson is a plural of the root peres which means to divide or alternatively can mean to extend or spread out. Although Zimmerman himself says that Perez has been incorrectly transmitted down through tradition and that the word was actually Parsis, meaning Persia. Zimmerman makes the case that the king is frightened because the king can read the word Parsis and knows that this is an oracle about Persia, even before Daniel comes on the scene. Now, whether the word means Persia or to divide, Daniel interprets the message as one of imminent doom. God has found Belshazzar wanting and is bringing Belshazzar's kingdom to an end, with the kingdom divided between the Medes and the Persians. And sure enough, Belshazzar is killed that very night. And according to the biblical story, Darius the Mede takes over the kingdom. Though independent historical accounts tell us that Cyrus the Persian overthrew the empire. And Darius was a Persian king who ruled in 522 to 486. We do know that the Persians came in and overthrew the empire. And forever after, the phrase, writing on the wall, has come to mean that doom is imminent. 
Using scholar John Golden Gay's framing of being drawn towards God or away from God, we see a king who has everything and his power goes to his head. Instead of ruling his people with humility, he acts as if he is a god himself. He is feasting at a ridiculously sumptuous level on the night when his kingdom falls. We're not told whether he knew the Persians were coming, but it seems unlikely that a force large enough to take down a kingdom could slip in unnoticed. Daniel emphasizes Belshazzar's responsibility in his own downfall. Daniel makes Belshazzar the subject of a series of strong verbs saying, You knew. You ignored. You exalted yourself. You desecrated. You committed adultery. You disregarded. While Darius is coming for him, Belshazzar is caught out drinking and committing idolatry with a thousand of his lords. In contrast, Daniel maintains his integrity and is drawn toward God under doubly difficult circumstances. Even though Daniel lives in exile and serves at the pleasure and mercy of the king, Daniel stays true to his God, his religious obligations as he understands them, and is unafraid to tell difficult truths to one king after another from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar to Darius, who comes next. Even when Daniel's life is on the line, Daniel stands up to each and every king. Here it's Belshazzar, and he reminds Belshazzar that God is truly in control. So how might this story speak to us today? In asking that question, I want to review Golden Gay's quote that frames Daniel 5 for us again. Golden Gay says, In everyday events and in political affairs, some find life, others find death. Human responsibility is real, and every experience tests by eliciting a response that either draws people towards God and God's blessing or draws them in the opposite direction. Perhaps one of the ways the Spirit might speak to us through this scripture today is to prompt us as we deal with everyday events to ask whether our choices are drawing us towards life and towards God, or towards death and away from God. As you reach decision points in your everyday life, you might pause and ask yourself, is this a life-giving choice that brings me towards God? I invite you to broaden this question from everyday events to political affairs and use the same frame as we did for the Bible story to reflect this week as you read the papers and watch the news. Ask yourself, where do I see life here, and where is death? Whether it's a story like those I read recently in the paper about the NBA walkout, or coverage of a black man being shot by police, or a white man shooting protesters, or speakers at a political event, first, ask yourself, 
who looks and sounds like Balshazar and his legion of princes and advisors, and who shows up with integrity like Daniel. And then ask yourself, can my response towards this event draw myself and other people towards God and God's blessing, or is my response moving in the opposite direction? The good news is, as followers of Christ, we are given grace as we make our choices. We are forgiven for our mistakes, and through the power of the Spirit, we are drawn to God in Christ as our Savior and Shepherd. In times when we feel we are living at the edge, we know that in Christ, God's grace is ever-present and God's love is with us always. Thanks be to God. Amen.